Hola, señor. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you, my friend? Did you get everybody to bed? Well, I'm working on it. The oldest just came back in here. Mm. It's kind of early to go to bed, isn't it? Or is it a Not school night? It's a school night. night. Uh, my wife's early to bed anyway, so she's the easiest to put to bed. Uh, but the, the children, it's, it's like trying to grab a whole bunch of dry sand and hold it in your fist. The more you squeeze, the more it slips out. <laughs> so how have you been? I'm doing well. How about you? Good, good. It's been a while. None of those plane parts fell on you, did they? No, that was in uh, sort of Denver area. Okay. It's a miracle they didn't hurt anybody, and they that didn't land. They just... they didn't land on a house. They landed in yards, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, the whole thing just seems amazing that the you know the plane made it safely and the parts didn't kill anybody. It just yeah. seems like somebody was watching out for everybody. Yep. It's very fortunate people are like lucky they didn't lose a house. Crazy times, man. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It is I, when my youngest was very, or when my oldest was very young, he would just lose his mind sometimes. And the easiest way to calm him down, your best bet was to just go outside in the yard and walk around, look at the trees, just kind of let him get a different setting and usually he'd calm down and of course one day we've done that i come back inside and i look on the news and somebody had taken their child for a walk in the park and a limb fell down and killed the man no <laughs> that's not what wow. i want to hear for a, a dad who takes his son for a walk in the yard like every other day that's odd was there like a a storm before that happened or not that I remember. As far as I know, it was just this freak thing where he just went through the park like he normally does, and just a just a limb just happened to fall at the exact wrong time for him, and landed on his head and killed him instantly. Jeez. Yeah, I guess when when it's your time, it's your time. There's nothing it, you yeah. can do about it. Right. You you can't cheat death, and you can't cheat taxes. Or at least That's if you right. try to cheat taxes, you'll you'll end up in you'll jail. You'll end up death. No. <laughs> <laughs> My son likes to make jokes about tax fraud, and I was like, "Son, you could probably kill somebody and have a better chance of staying out of jail than committing tax fraud." <laughs> you cheat you the government too, out of money, and you're going downtown. He's too young to to do that. Yeah, he's he's still got a while before he has to even worry about those things. But that's his. That's his platform for student government. What what grade is uh, he in now? He's in tenth grade. Ah, uh, well, he's getting up there. I didn't know he was that far <laughs> that in means high I'm school. Getting, that means I'm getting even closer to the grave. Well, he's get he's gonna be a senior soon. I know. He's got two more flies. years. Time flies. It seems like I was just taking him to preschool and, and crying because he had started preschool and my, my little all-day buddy was gone. Because at that time when, when he started, he was still watching G.I. Joe and the, his favorite thing. Dollar General would have these cheap reissues of G.I. Joe figures and you just didn't get a gun or anything. You just got the figure 
on a small card, and I think it was like two or three dollars, and he would want those and Hot Wheels. And I didn't know dad, that they did that. Yeah, it it didn't last but a couple of years, but it was a wonderful thing. My dad was still alive, and he loves dollar or loved Dollar General, so we would go there, and my dad would buy cat food, and we'd get Noah uh, a Hot Wheels and or a GI Joe figure. Huh. That was like the, the the best time of being a dad for me so far. Because <laughs> everything lately is just like, you like that? I hate it. What are they into now? Video games. And not not anything you even know how to play. You know, if he played Contra or something, I might be like, oh, yeah, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Yeah. But, uh, instead, he's playing, you know, Cyberpunk 2077 and Grand Theft Auto. And I'm like, no, that's not... Not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> what about TV? What do they like to watch? Do they watch TV at all, or no? Are they just pretty much gamers? They, well, if you give them a choice, you can do one thing. They will always choose gaming. TV is like, okay, turn your games off. You've been playing games too long. Okay, well, now it's time for a TV or movies. Uh. But, uh... They 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 watch the worst shows. Now I like cartoons. You know I'm a I'm an old man who still likes cartoons. I'll still stop when I see Looney Tunes on and stuff. But they like stuff like Gumball, and I can't stand Gumball and Steven Universe. That's just not my thing. <laughs> it's I, it's I, like the more the there's a comic the book me. of the second one. I've bought some of them just to try to, you know, see if I could combine the two interests. Like, yeah. hey, here's a here's a comic of the show you like, but they're not interested in the comic. And honestly, once I flip through it, I'm usually like, I'm not interested in this comic either. <laughs> the only one they've read that was based on a show they were watching that they thought was okay was Regular Show. And I don't mm -hmm. know, are you familiar? Have you ever seen Regular Show? No, but I'm aware of it. it. It's anything but regular. And it took me a while to get to where I liked that one. But once I... They did they did an episode where there was a lot of 80s homages in it. And, of course, my kids didn't get any of the references. But I was like, okay, well, maybe this show's all right after all. I don't, I don't watch too many new cartoons. If I watch cartoons, they're old. Yeah, you know, I like Looney Tunes or the Flintstones or I'll watch Popeye sometimes. But I'll, the newest stuff that I've watched is Star Wars Clone Wars. So I, I have seen that, almost the yep. entire series. And then I've seen uh, a lot of the DC movies that come to animation. But other than that, I, I, I don't watch too much animated TV yeah, I wouldn't watch most of what's on now, you know, new stuff. I would probably stick to the classics unless it was based on a comic like the DC animated movies. The um like yeah, the I Sergeant still, Rock I, short. I, I, I still haven't seen that Sergeant Rock short. You haven't seen that one yet? Not yet. That's one of the few I, I didn't watch the movie that came with it, but I watched that short about 10 times on one day. <laughs> <laughs> It was just, it's unbelievable to see it, you know, this is my guy, and he's actually got a little mini-movie, you know, because he's one of those characters you just, 
you, you kind of think, well, there's probably not a real good chance of ever seeing him done right on the screen. When you talk about runs of comics, what, what runs do you uh, have? Like, is it all war comics or do you have runs of other stuff? You mean like in my personal collection? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got a little bit of everything. It's just the war I, comics. I, I know, but you seem like you're all over the place. Well, I, in in terms love, of uh, titles and stuff, I, I was curious if you focused on anything besides war comics that you were that constantly looking for. Oh yeah, there's always a long list of things, but most of the time it's like whatever catches my eye. Like I love when when stores post a picture of their wall books, and then I'm like, oh well. Number one, I didn't know that 90s book was actually valuable now, you know, because I remember seeing a dozen copies in the dollar box not too long ago. And then Any, I'm like, anything oh. contemporary or no? Yeah, I, I mean, I still I like a little bit of everything. Like right now, one of my I'm way behind on it, but uh, I love Birthright from Image that. Yeah, it's kind of do you get I G. guess I. it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, a modern modern one of those do i get gi joe yeah is that yeah i still get i'm behind i'm behind on everything but yeah i still get gi joe especially recently they had uh brian shearer do an issue and so that excited me and john royal did some covers yeah, i like this robert atkins too for a while there and netho netho diaz i probably butchered his name but he's got some really nice artwork and he's been working on it and ron yeah. joseph i Ron Joseph is, does some killer G.I. Joe work. And so in case Tom Waltz ever listens to our podcast, then Tom, hire these guys and do some more. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw um, Stad <clears throat> Johnson did a commission recently for somebody. And it was G.I. Joe themed. It was Destro and the Baroness on a battlefield. And there's like a crashed Cobra Rattler behind them and, and Cobra soldiers dead on the ground, but they're like embracing, like they've made it through the battle. And it was just an incredible piece. Wow. I would love, love to get something from him someday, but so far that's been out of my range. Yeah. Their commissions have gone out of my range pretty much. I don't buy art anymore. I'd rather focus on comic books. Yeah, I've I've definitely focused more on, you know, just the cheap filler here and a cheap filler there lately. It's because commissions have gone so high. Yeah, a lot of. I I remember when I first started getting commissions, I was spending roughly thirty dollars a commission when when I first started getting art and I, I was probably late to the game i i it was probably like 2010 maybe <clears throat> and uh yeah. and then they 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 fluctuated around there for a while and then it went to 60 and then it seems like it went from 60 to 100 like in no time at all <laughs> Yeah, it, it was like, and and, and then it was like three hundred, and it's like, holy shit! And it, that's when I just like, once it got into the, because I don't like like 
head sketches like it has to be it has to be like a full body you know yeah i prefer the full figure i I really won't and i prefer it to be at least nine by 12 and preferably 11 by 17 it's like the bow it's like the bowen statues when they were just doing the head i i didn't really care for them but when they added the from the waist up that's when i started to to buy the Bowen statues. Oh, those so, are some nice statues. <laughs> yeah. But before then, it was like the neck. It was like a V-shaped stomach. Like, it was a, a bizarre shape with shoulders. It was shoulders and a head. And then he started to do from the waist up, and that's when I started to buy them. But that, I feel the same way about art. Like, if it's just a headshot, I, I'm not too crazy about it. I mean, I, I don't mind a headshot if it's like a, if somebody gives you like a free sketch in a book or something like that, and it's a headshot, right. that's cool. But like, if you, if you're paying for something, I, I wouldn't pay for a headshot. Well, I've done it because it might be the only way I can afford a piece from a certain artist, or maybe it's just something they've already done that I thought really turned out well. But for the most part, of if you want me to sign up for your list, it's usually going to be a full figure. Yeah. Yeah. I think my first piece that I actually commissioned from somebody, I met Sam Glansman at a heroes con in like 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. And I was just a, a bumbling, stumbling wreck. I was just so nervous about meeting him. And, and my wife was like, didn't you say you wanted to get, a commission of from him and he was like yeah i'll do i'll do a commission for you what you want me to do and i was like i don't know uh haunted tank something and he was like i'm not gonna draw the whole damn tank in its crew now what what do you want <laughs> is that what he I, said <laughs> that may not be the exact words but it was to that that point where <laughs> i was like i don't i don't whatever you want to draw i'll be happy with i don't know you know, because I'd never done it before. I had no clue what you even asked for, what you expected to pay, nothing. I just knew, here's this guy who I've read so essentially have, all my life. You have a Sam Glassman uh, piece? Yeah, I do. It, it's, what is uh, it What is it of? What did he end up drawing? Um, I th- I'm blanking on what it is now, and it's hanging in the house. But it's in the other end, so I can't even look at it. I think it's a headshot of Jeb with maybe the ghost in the background. Oh, okay. I'll I'll send you a picture tomorrow and and, and show you what it looked like. But I I think that thing was only like twenty five dollars. Oh, but, that's cool. Yeah. But, so but it, that was I mean, that was fairly early. You said two thousand. So it, yeah, it was like two thousand, <laughs> two thousand one, somewhere in there. Because so I in two thousand, how old was he? He must have been. Because well, he, he was on the ship was, in World War Two. Yeah, I know he lied about his age to enlist. So yeah. he was young, younger than he was supposed to be. But let's just say he was 15 in 1945. That would be like the minimum. Yeah. So, so 45 to 2000 would be 55. So he would have been at least 70 when I wow. met him. <laughs> I want the haunted tank. I ain't gonna draw no haunted tank. What are you talking? It's like about? I'm. Well, it, it, I know there was something along the lines of I'm not gonna draw the whole damn thing. 
<laughs> wasn't his thing. And, and then I felt really embarrassed because then, I, you know, because I really, I wasn't trying to take advantage of him. I really just had no clue what I was doing. I wanted something haunted tank themed. You know, I would have been happy if he drew, you know, Gus's face or, or Slim with his goatee or, or anything. You know? <laughs> just, some, just something to say that I've got an original by Sam Glansman. <laughs> that's an interesting story i didn't know you had a glassman piece that was the first commission i mean it, i guess it's technically a, a convention sketch and not a convention commission but to me there's pretty much the same thing and that was the first original that i that wasn't already something somebody did and that yeah. was because of that was because of my wife and my wife also encouraged me to buy the first regular piece of art which was i don't know if you remember the comic hepcats but they he had come i'm aware of it i don't have any the guy who did the comic i liked it a lot and i was excited because i'd never met him he came to heroes con and my wife who was then my girlfriend went to the they did an art auction at the end of the convention and, and you know you could still shop but the art auction was going on. So she went to the auction and I was shopping and she ended up buying the Hepcats piece for me. And that was my first. Did she know you of, liked of Hepcats at the time? Oh, she, yeah. Cause she knew I was so excited and we, that was like one of the first guys we went to see. And I got him to sign most of my comics and uh, he had a, a package deal where you could buy like a mystery envelope with random signed back issues and maybe a sketch in it or something. And, I had debated on whether to buy it. I was like, I'm not, I don't really, I haven't bought any art before, but I really would love to have something from him. So I bought, I ended up buying that from him. And then she bought that piece at the art auction. Yeah. That's what, that's what got me started on collecting original art. I think my first piece was, uh, from Tom Scholey, but I, I can't remember what why I went to him. Like it, it was the time of Godland, and I remember him sitting right next to Eric Larson, who's one of my favorites. And I don't know why I wouldn't have asked Eric Larson for a commission, um, because back then it was probably affordable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they go up every year. Yeah, but uh, for some reason. I think Godland was coming out and I, I got a commission of him drawing uh, Jimmy Olsen. And, and back then, he his commissions were for fairly cheap. Like he drew a, flu, a full uh, Superman and Jimmy Olsen. So like Jimmy Olsen's like using his signal watch and like Superman's flying over. And I liked it so much that I got another one of... Um, because I, I knew that he was a Kirby guy, so I, like, focused on, like, Kirby stuff. Right, that's um, what I would do. And uh, Kirby did the Super Powers um, comic book, which which sparked the toys. So I got a, a Cyborg and Firestorm, um, mostly because of the cartoon. Because in the cartoon, Cyborg and Firestorm were buddies. <laughs> So I, I thought getting them would be a good, and then I started to get like a couple commissions a year, and I kept doing that for a couple years, 
and then uh, the prices just got too high. And then and then I had a couple instances that put bad taste in my mouth, like where I, I would go in early on Thursday or or Friday and and get on the commission list, and then they didn't have my piece, like. And then they'd say, oh, we'll mail it to you. And then I wait and I wait and I wait. And I'd eventually get it, but it kind of sucked because I paid for it right. at the convention with an understanding that I would get the piece at the convention. By, at the convention. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, things just started to get ugly. And I was like, I was getting more stressed out than enjoying myself. So now I just... Now I just kind of stick to uh, the people I always go to, like Peepoy and a couple others. Yeah, it can be really stressful, especially waiting for a piece. Like if you don't get it at the show and then waiting and waiting and hoping it shows up and emailing them, hey, is there any, any progress on my piece? But uh, that's I prefer to get it at the show. You know, and then, then I don't have to worry about when am I going to get it. I don't have to worry about is the post office going to mess it up? Are they going to send it to the wrong house? Because yeah. I've had I've had mail show up at my neighbor's house before, so I'm, you know, it, I, I'd much rather you just hand it over to me, <laughs> and we're good to go. Do you have good neighbors? Would they tell you, hey, we have this? I've been very here. fortunate so far. I've got. The, my closest neighbor gets my mail way too often, but he is always like, "Hey, I got a I got a piece of mail for you," and we I get his sometimes, so we just swap mail. But one time it was somebody I didn't have any clue who it was. UPS wasn't even close. It was he was like several streets over. It was in the neighborhood. He got the right neighborhood, but the address wasn't even close to right. Yeah. And th- thankfully he called me he found me in the phone book or something and called me and was like hey are you this guy i've got a, i got ups left this on my porch and i'm like oh thank you thank you so much yeah that only happened to me once and i i never went to go they never told me where it was delivered to i just know it was misdelivered and i contacted ups and then they routed it i guess they had the driver go to the location where they dropped it off and picked it up and brought it over here like within two or three days but that was the the worst of uh getting misdelivered but they went back and got it yeah wow ups uh they knew that they they track so well that they knew where they had dropped it off like i don't know if they like on I don't know if you use the apps sometimes, but the apps, FedEx doesn't have this, but the UPS has like a a tracking app where you could actually see the truck, like where the truck is on GPS. No, I don't have the app, but now I want it. Yeah, you could actually track track the truck on delivery day to see where they're at. Um, You might not know their route, because sometimes they're close and they're really not close, if that makes any sense. Um, because they they might be going down the streets differently. Um, right. I don't. You, if you don't know their route, you might think they're close and it's coming, and they're really not close. They're really a couple hours away because they're going down or instead of up or something like that. But yeah, it's 
I as only long knew as it gets to my house. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. We have the ring doorbell too, so the ring doorbell tells me, "Oh, you got somebody at your front door." Yeah, that's pretty nice. My wife's got the app for the ring on her phone, and I'll hear that little thing go off. Like, oh, okay, somebody's there. Yeah. You could put it on your phone too. I don't. I don't like having all these apps on my phone. I'll let my wife handle the technology, and I'll just be my caveman over here <laughs> re- making making notes in my notebook. That's <laughs> where you could track your uh, comic books. On your phone, at least. Well, I'm I'm hoping to someday. Maybe maybe when my oldest goes off to college, and then I can sort more in, into his room. I've got too much stuff in his room right now that's waiting to get. His, he has the unfortunate luck of being right next door to the comic room, so I often have a stack of things by his door waiting to go into the comic room. Ah. It doesn't look like it's just one room, though. <laughs> well, there's. It's it supposed like to be. Looks like you have a, a basement or something. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, but it's not. No. All right. Well, we had let's let's we had a couple questions from Paul. Okay. I, I thought I would uh, bring those up first, and then we'll. We'll start talking about our books. Okay. So I, I just have to uh, find them. Because Paul I guess the only I, one who gave us some questions? Uh, that replied to me. I don't know if anybody replied to you. I don't, um, I don't think any. I got a, a few likes, but I don't remember getting any questions. He asked Vertigo questions. So uh, his... Uh, what are your most standout Vertigo series? I don't know if you do Vertigo. Do you? Well, I was I saw his that question when it came up, and I started thinking because usually I equate Sandman with Vertigo. Yeah. And he I is am Vertigo. not. I am not a Sandman guy. I I liked the Kirby Sandman and I like the Golden Age Sandman, but the Sandman and Death and Morpheus and all that stuff is. I read the first issue when it came out, thought that was weird, and never read another issue. <laughs> I, I, I'm i not a Sandman guy either. Um, I stuck with it out of habit, but I I didn't I never got into it. I think I I think I liked his sister better than than him. I like death. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I would say. Why the Last Man? I liked that a lot. I, I liked uh, DMZ a lot. I liked Scalped a lot. That was that was probably my favorite. Scalped. Um, Exterminators by Simon Oliver. That was that was very unique and an awesome story. And then you had your classic Animal Man, the Grant Morrison. And well, now I did I did read Animal Man, but I don't think it had become Vertigo yet when I was reading it. I think it started out as regular DC, and then it got folded into the Vertigo imprint, if I remember right. Yeah, same with Swamp Thing. Yeah. So I read Swamp Thing and I read Animal Man, but 
but I didn't read a lot of them once they became Vertigo. I'd probably drop the titles by then. I think the one I've enjoyed the most that comes to mind immediately is it's it's a relatively new discovery for me. It's called American Century, and it's Howard. Oh, Chaykin. Howard Chaykin, that was good. Yeah, Howard Chaykin's writing it, and Mark Lamming's doing a lot of the interior art, and Glenn yeah. Orbick did some of the painted covers. And I am thoroughly enjoying what I've read of it so far. I read that entire run. That was really good. American Century was excellent. Yeah, Mark. It sort of was. Of it sort of was like a Blackhawk book, even though it wasn't Blackhawk. I mean, it just had well, the same. Kinda, it had the same vibe. Well, you, yeah, it, it kind of reminded me as a uh, of a what Chase done with Blackhawk. Yeah, it was a time period piece for sure. How about Sandman Mystery Science Theater? That was awesome. Yeah, well, that... now that one I did like. Yeah, Sandman with the um the Guy Davis art. That was that was a good series, but the 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 flagship Sandman title just didn't do it for me. At least the one issue I read. I I I intend to give it another shot someday, but I'm always so far behind in reading everything anyway. I'd rather read something I'm pretty sure I will like, and not something I'm gonna hope that maybe I change my mind on. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get back to Sandman. But I, I guess I didn't realize Animal Man was... Man, it was a while before it became Vertigo. It was in the 40s. Wow. When Swamp Thing was late joining Vertigo... Yeah, the DC Vertigo wasn't until the 70s. So, at least on the cover where it said DC Vertigo, that, which is right. really surprising. And that wasn't even Grant Morrison. That was Jamie Delano. So, um, I, well, no, he's in the 60s. In the 60s, it was still... Let's see where... I'm trying to see in the database like where it switched... The main thing with the Swamp Thing Vertigo run I equate with it is Phil Hester doing some of the art. And I've been a fan of Phil Hester for yeah, a long time. I like so. him. He's going to be drawing Superman. So I, I, I like the Swamp Thing with Phil Hester art, but I don't remember much else about Swamp Thing under Vertigo. Oh, I like Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing is one of those characters for me that I like it no matter what where it is if it's vertigo or not vertigo and that's the next question <laughs> they said what's the best run of swamp thing that's not alan moore well i would have to go with the original with bernie wrightson art and len ween yes i like that but um i think i would have to go with the charles soul um swamp thing which was New 52. I liked his stuff a lot. Because they introduced the red, the the green, and the metal. And I, I thought the metal was, was fascinating. So I don't uh, I don't think I've read that one. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, it's I think I own like almost every swamp thing. I, I, I own the early stuff, the first series. I own the house of what is it, the house of mystery. Where he I think was it's introduced. House of Secrets. 
92, right? Yeah, I, I own that. I own that one. I thought it was House of Mystery, but maybe it is House of Secrets. It, I, it could be. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm old and forgetful. So. I do own that. Um, I, I am missing some of the Vertigo run, but not a lot of it. it I, I think I have all the Alan Moore stuff. I just am missing some of the Nancy Collins. But but Swamp Thing is one that I have all in hardcover and trade as well. So like I, I could pop a Swamp Thing and read almost any story that's ever been published a Swamp Thing. <laughs> Well, he's a solid character. I just like the Wrightson's take on him. It's more of a, a monster comic, you know, like a Frankenstein or something, and not just standard superheroes. And it's although kind of, it's I kind guess of Swamp like Thing's a, never uh, standard superhero. He's not a standard superhero for sure. He's he's a monster. Um, it, it's just a different type of writing. The the Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson stuff was more like Man Thing. Right. Where it's a swamp creature. You don't really have to get to know the swamp creature much. It's the story about the people that are exposed to the swamp creature. So it's more about the people around the swamp (laughs) or the circumstances of them running into the swamp creature. But uh, later on, he becomes more of a a godlike creature of the green. I think that was, you know, uh, Alan Moore exploring him. Well, I liked Alan Moore's run, too. Of course, I've actually liked every Swamp Thing era I've read. It's just the Alan Moore did something so different with him that it stands out. And then the, the original with the Wrightson art, it's, for me, it's hard to beat Wrightson drawing any kind of monster. He's just perfect for drawing monsters. Yeah, I have I have the rights and run. But it's that one that's when it was more superhero to me, at least towards the tail end. Cuz there were there were times where Swamp Thing was um pairing up with uh the Challengers of the Unknown and stuff like that at the end of the series. Yeah, it got it got very different. <laughs> After after Wrightson left, I, I think Lynn Wayne or Wayne, however you say his name, I think he left too. Yeah, he left and, at thirteen, and uh, David Michelini and Nestor Redondo was the team, and I think that's when it sort of, at least at the end of it, when it was uh, Jerry Conway, it became more of a superhero book. My guess would be the sales were down and they were trying to... They're trying to you know, save it. Yeah. That was when... Uh, 1976. So, uh... There was a Mark Jeweler variant on uh, number 23. I don't know why that became so popular. Do you? It's just they're harder to find. I, I mean, I know as a kid, I stupidly pulled some of the Mark Jeweler inserts out of my comics. Well, I hated them. They I didn't were like so, them either. They were so damn distracted, and who wanted jewelry in them? But I, they're like I a highly like uh, sought-after thing, and I, I don't get it. It, it says thought... here a lot of them were sold, the jeweler insert cards were sold at uh, 
U.S. military bases. And I don't know if that made a difference or not. I think it's just a, a, you know, a smaller print run of the title. And so therefore it adds collectability. The only, the only real upside other than the collectability of them to me is that they're, the cards were often so stiff that the comic was usually in better shape. Yes, because it kept it straight. It was almost like having a a middle backing board in the middle of it. Right, right. Yeah. Because when I first discovered them, I hated them and I pulled them out. And then as I got <laughs> as I got a little bit older, I would look for those because the way th- my main source of comics was this used book dealer at the flea market, and she would have these um, comics and just cardboard boxes where you could see about half the comic, and you could look over the box and like, okay, I see a insert here and a Mark Jewelers insert here. And pull those out, and you knew those were probably going to be in decent shape. So at one point, I started pulling those out to check, you know, first thing. Because even though I was an idiot and doing things like pulling out the Mark Jewelers inserts, I still liked my first initial copy to be in the best shape possible. You know, I would take, if I needed the issue, I'd take it in any condition. But if they had two copies, I would look at them both and go, I'll take this one. This one looks a little bit nicer. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of any other Vertigo's titles that that uh I I I read a lot of Vertigo, but uh well, I think a lot of a, them are I... not popular, like they're not runs that people sought after. Right. Well, I think Sandman just kind of you know, it's it's the elephant in the room. Everybody wanted to be like Sandman. And well, that so and why the last gets... man was really big at the time. I remember, I think it was Vertigo. There was like a Tomahawk, maybe it was a one shot, might have been a two issue miniseries of an updating on Tomahawk. And I, I think I, I don't, like the... I, I don't remember that. I remember the black uh, orchid Vertigo title. Yeah, I don't remember that wasn't a Tomahawk. And I think there was uh, maybe a Prez updating. There, there, there was a Prez. Okay, so Prez was would a, be on my list of ones I liked. I think there was a, uh, but I don't think it. I don't think the Prez thing. There was a Vertigo Visions Prez by Ed Brubaker and Eric Shanauer. That sounds right. That sounds like what I'm thinking of. So that was just a one shot. That I that I don't own, but I own the other two Prez comics. Um, what what would you say the other one was? Tomahawk. I, that the, one I can't find. I see it on my comic shop. Add the cart now, Mike. Add the cart now. What a, a Vertigo one? Yeah. Is are you, is it titled anything else? Let me uh, see. Type in Tomahawk in the title search, Tomahawk. and then there'll be the regular DC run, and then the Vertigo Visions. It says. Oh yeah, Vertigo Visions. Yeah, I didn't know about that one. I had missed it. I didn't know it existed, or I would have bought it. I, it actually showed up. I bought a random box of comics. 
and that was in there. And I was like, Tomahawk? What the? Yeah, I'll have to look at these Vertigo Visions ones. That's interesting. I wonder who other... I wonder who else they featured. I know Time Warp they moved over there, too. Uh, that was a dollar comic, sci-fi. And then they did a House of Mystery, too, and uh, House of Secrets, I think. And, um, oh, that's where they had the Brother Power the Geek, too. There's a Vertigo that... Visions, uh, Phantom Stranger, Brother Power the Geek, Doctor 13, and Doctor Occult. And I think the only two I own of that is the Phantom Stranger and uh, Brother Power the Geek, because I, I love Brother Power the Geek. <laughs> I don't know why I did what I did. Yeah, Brother Power the Geek. I don't. I remember the comic existed under Vertigo. I remember they brought him back, but I don't remember actually reading it. I remember being excited about him coming back, but nothing matches the weirdness of the original two-issue series in the 60s. Yeah, he was like a hippie uh, doll. <laughs> yes. And uh, I I don't remember who the editor was at the time, but uh, he hated it too because he didn't like hippies. So uh, he, he <laughs> so was let's like do a hippie comic. <laughs> yeah. So he sort of wanted to cancel it. He, the creators wanted to do it. I think a lot of the creators at that time were s sort of hi some of them were hippies. <laughs> I mean, you could consider them kind of hippies. I think that Joe Simon was involved in that, wasn't he? He was, yeah. So he probably wasn't a hippie. He was probably just, maybe his grandkids were hippies. And he's like, I'm going to make a comic based on them that they were like. Yeah. yeah Joe Simon. But, there, there was something in the latest previews about some early work of Joe Simon that was from Rebellion. I, I, I ordered it. Yeah, I liked. Oh wow! I just looked up Brother Power number one on my comic shop. It's ninety-two dollars for the only copy they've got. Yeah, I think I have two copies. I like that uh, Brother Power the Geek. I think it was the American Comic Book Company, maybe the Great American Comic Book Company. It was a mail order company. I sent away for their catalog, probably through either an Overstreet ad or the Comics Buyer's Guide ad. And whoever it was, I think it was them, whoever it was, they described Brother Power of the Geek as one of the weirdest comics ever published. So that was like an immediate sale to me. I was like, well, I've got to, I've got to read this. <laughs> <laughs> if you say this is the weirdest comic ever published and it came out from my favorite publisher, DC Comics, I've got to check it out. It was kind of like a hippie Scooby-Doo, if I remember. <laughs> well, I mean, the covers were dark, and the the story I don't remember being as dark. It was kind of a goofy, you know, ragdoll hippie come to life, kind of a hippie Pinocchio, I guess. But uh, the, the covers were like a thing that lives and breathes and fights for its soul. And I was like, what in the world is this? Yeah. So I guess the, those Vertigo Visions were a bunch of one-shots where they took, like, DC mystical characters and stuff and put them into uh, one-shots. 
I didn't buy a lot of those. I think that was probably the period where I decided I'm getting screwed. Everything I buy ends up in the dollar boxes and cut back on buying new stuff. Yeah, 1995 for this Prez through Vertigo Visions. So, yeah, that would have been the era when I was like, I'm not going to spend as much on new stuff. I'm going to wait and was mostly focused on back issues. I didn't know the Tomahawk. That's kind of a... Oh, wasn't the Jonah Hex... uh, Mystical Jonah Hex? Wasn't that Vertigo? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Okay, so that'll be up there with my American Century, Paul. Writers of the the Worm and Such. You know, those those ones? Right. That was the the Joe Joe Lansdale and Timothy Truman. Right. Those were Vertigo. So there you go. You got Jonah Hex. With with uh, Tim Truman and, and uh, Sam Glansman. So that was... That was that, yeah, there that, were two of them. Um, Joe Lansdale, too. I, he, he writes good westerns and weird stuff. <laughs> well, that one qualified. I mean, I prefer my Jonah Hex, a straight-ahead western like the original series or the Jimmy Palmiotti series. But I still enjoyed the Riders of the Worm and whatever. I can't remember. Two Gun Mojo. Two Gun Mojo. Two Gun Mojo. Yeah, uh, I liked those back in the day. I thought they were amazing. But they were definitely weird to me. Shadows West was the other one. So there was a couple of them. That's when they tried to add, like, the supernatural into Jonah Hex. Do you own the Jonah Hex uh, Blue Digest? There were yeah. three issues of that, yeah. Yeah, I used to love Digest, and I still think they're neat. They're a great value for you know the package, the, the amount of stories and pages you get. It's just harder for me to read with my old eyes. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, those, those little Archie those di- Digests. Those Digests with the Jonah Hex stuff have some fantastic stories in them. I'll the always covers, pick those up when I run right. into them. They, they're you just don't run into them too often. Yeah, if it doesn't fit in a standard comic box, it makes it harder and harder to find. Anything oversized like the Treasuries and the Digest that you know. I see the Treasuries though. I see the Treasuries though a lot at conventions. Like yeah, I, people are pulling them out now because uh, they've I, gotten so expensive. Well, I, I've I've seen tables of Treasury editions. I have not seen I I think I've seen like one vendor that had the digests. He had like a a section of Archie digests and there were a few of the DC Blue Ribbon digests. But I I don't usually see those in the wild. Yeah, I bought a lot of the DC digests when I was a kid. They had the I think three Jonah hexes and they had a Two or three Sergeant Rocks and a and a GI combat with the haunted tank one, mm-hmm. and I would those you could you know stuff in your book bag and carry around with no problem, and so I would have those and just read them repeatedly on the school bus and stuff. And now you have a big old magnifying glass. You have now now out. I gotta have a magnifying glass to read them. <laughs> uh, gone gone are the days of youth where your eye everything worked on your body and yet nothing hurt. Yep. You could tear your shin off on the on your bike pedal, 
and and be all right later that night and now <laughs> i'd hurt for a month if i did something like that right so uh what do you got for us in terms of a book tonight well i did too i didn't know how much you wanted to cover i but, did uh, too as well in honor of of this being the month of love with valentines and everything i decided to start off with a falling in love number 143 from october november 1973 and i had chosen this one just skimming through romance comics but it's got a cover by j scott pike and i don't know if you're familiar with him he was a a pinup artist like gil elvgren and antonio vargas and stuff and he did did a little comic work and i saw that he did the cover for this one, so I decided that's the one I'm going to order, and that's the one I'm going to cover. Did you order it recently, or was it I got something... it towards the end of last year. It was, a, it was something I piggybacked on with my comic shop, and they only had one copy of like the last 20 issues around it in stock at the time. And I was like, well, I guess that, that was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, 143 is the final issue, too. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't remember that one. But uh, sometimes those up. are uh, low, low print runs. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm really happy to find it because I did, I probably knew that when I ordered it and then immediately forgot it in my old mind. But it, somebody had mentioned him doing comic work and doing that cover, and so then I hunted it down. What What is she smashing? That looks like mirrors. It's some. It looks like like mirrors in a dressing room or something. Yeah, that's what it and looks like. She's getting reflection of what I assume is her man kissing another woman. That's but, a weird thing to get because you think yeah. the reflection would be in the same room. <laughs> it's an odd cover, and it is. this 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 cover image does not appear anywhere in the comic. <laughs> so it's a little misleading, but uh, with the way things used to go back then, they probably had his cover drawn up for just a random issue and they're like, Oh, we're getting canceled. We'll pull that J Scott Pike cover out. We'll put that on the last issue. It's such an interesting cover because it looks like the Renaissance period when like a woman would go change, they'd have like these fold out things and they'd go behind the fold out thing and change. That's what this looks like, except I've never seen a, a fold out mirror and this that's what this looks like well it's it's kind she's of gonna have like her, a, but... seven years bad luck because she's breaking the mirrors <laughs> well she's gonna be lucky to survive because the way she's smashing the glass she's gonna slit her wrists that's true but she's she's really <laughs> she's really upset about these people smooching on each other but uh the first story is called pushover and we open up with Carla, and Carla really likes Hal. And they, she makes out with Hal. But like all the other guys before Hal, he does not call again. And Carla goes on other dates with the same results. No calls back after they, their makeout sessions. And she's, she's getting really tired of this and feeling run down, so she goes to see her doctor. And so on, on her doctor visit, he tells her she has a cold, which just struck me as odd that you don't realize you have a cold? Did we not have the technology in 1973 to realize I've got a cold? I mean, <laughs> at what point did we did we realize, hey, I've got a cold, I'm going to take some Tylenol and drink a little orange juice and take a nap? <laughs> but, 
But anyway, he says he's explaining to her about a cold and says, crowded places, crowds gives you colds. So put yourself in isolation for a while. That means no kissing, dig. He says <laughs> he says this to the girl and she responds by thinking, yeah, I dig my grave. So Carla apparently decides isolation means she can go on dates. There's just no, going to be no making out. So she goes on a date with Tommy and won't make out with him. And so he gets angry and drives away complaining that all the other guys said she was a pushover. And in the days that follow, Carla goes on more dates, but no more makeout sessions because she has this cold. And then on a date with Jeffrey, she asks if she will ever get to see him again because all these other men have just left and never called and he says of course so carla decides it's time to follow up with her doctor who tells her she can answer the call of the wild again this this doctor really really has an interesting bedside manner with his patients (laughs) you can start making out again you got yeah uh, go ahead carly you got a clean bill of health (laughs) i've explained colds to you you might want to talk about venereal disease with all these dates (laughs) she's going on but uh so that night on a date with jeffrey he tells carla that he loves her and she says how long i've waited to hear that then we we close on them making out on the sofa because she's finally had a man's call her back and say he loves her. And we get a, an interesting advice column from, uh, it's credited to Carol Andrews. And there's some interesting letters. One of them asks, how do I gain weight? And then Carol says, I'm not a nutritionist. Ask your doctor. And on the very next page is an ad for a weight gain solution so that you can pack on the pounds and fill out your figure. I was like, dude, did we not know eat a cheeseburger in 1973? I mean, I, I realized that. But it, but it's, mem- it, I mean, it, it tells you something about the time period, too, because you do that like in the 90s and 2000s, the opposite. People want to be really skinny. Do you know what I right. mean? Yeah. Well, things have changed a lot. You know, everything's supersized as a standard meal now, whereas it used to be like a happy meal was a family meal. So then we go on to bad news. Susan is in a parking lot with a very handsy hippie by the name of Ralph. Ralph is about to kiss Susan when her boyfriend Bob comes out looking for her. Bob tells her he was worried about her, to which she responds, Don't ever worry about me, darling. I'm your girl, remember? Bob and Susan kiss, which prompts Ralph, who had been hiding behind a car, to pop out to mock them for smooching. Bob takes offense, which then upsets Susan. She decides to pay Bob back by wearing a bikini on their beach day the next day. Bob is quite conservative and doesn't like his ladies to be in a bikini and draw the looks of other men. So Bob does not approve of this, and Susan breaks up with him over it. Susan immediately begins dating Ralph the Dirty Hippie, but finds herself missing her straight-laced Bob. And on a date out with Ralph, where she got Ralph to take them to her and Bob's spot, she ditches Ralph and gets back with Bob. So <laughs> poor Ralph, the dirty hippie, was just a fun little plaything for a little while. She got back with <laughs> got back with her straight laced Bob. 
And finally, we close with My Love Came Back. Doris is in love with Matt, who has left her to travel to the big city to find a good job to support them. It's been months and not a word from Matt. Matt's brother, Ted, is wasting no opportunities and he's making the moves on Doris, telling Doris that he, Matt is never coming back. Doris fi- comes home one day and finds roses, roses, the most common flower to give a woman, I would think, and thinks to herself, they must be from Matt. No one else knows I love roses. I blew it. This is his way of telling me he's coming home. And she then bursts into tears when she realizes Ted has cracked the complex code of women enjoying roses and sent them to her. She thinks to herself, oh, no, they're from Ted. The sweet scent has suddenly become bitter to to me. Oh, Matt, darling, why don't you let me hear from you? (laughs) (laughs) That one really cracked me up that the dude sends her roses. And so it's got to be from one guy because nobody else would know that she likes roses. That was a deep, dark (laughs) secret (laughs) that she liked roses and nobody would know that. So she has a flashback thinking back to how her romance with Matt began. She thinks back to how Matt had broken it off with his previous girlfriend and then left her for the big city. And Ted tries again to win her over, telling Doris his brother is a failure (laughs) and that she should marry him. Matt suddenly returns when they, as they embrace, but runs off when he sees him, saying that he should have known what was going on. So Doris runs to their special spot at a tree and cries her, just sobs and sobs. And then Matt shows up and finds her at their spot and considers that a sign that they are meant to be together. <laughs> <laughs> So this has been quite a quite an interesting issue. The cover is is special to me. I like J. Scott Pike, and these stories are so bizarre to me. With little things like the doctor explaining colds and how isolation works. But she was how, she was going on the dates with the cold. She was going on dates with a cold. She went so on like, several what, dates. When, with when cold. she was on the date, did she like have Kleenex? Was did it depict her sneezing or it doesn't, coughing? Every, as as far as you can tell from the graphics in the story, she is fine and dandy. The only thing is, the doctor has told her she has a cold, and so she should isolate. And apparently, to her, isolation just means don't make out. <laughs> Good thing she's not in the COVID world. <laughs> I know. Well, I thought about I thought about that one a lot when I was reading that story. That, you know, this is, she's the reason why we still have to wear masks a year. Yeah, later. that's that's exactly right. She would have been spreading the the COVID around like it was nobody's business. Well, I'm not making out. <laughs> well, she went on multiple dates in this story. She went on more dates in this story. I just and find it odd that the, the artist didn't depict it like, or you wouldn't see like a, a sneeze or some Kleenex or right. Something. There's nothing, and the and the dudes don't seem to know because they're he's just mad. Why didn't you make out with me like you did with everybody else? Yeah, she doesn't say because I have a cold. She doesn't say anything like that. She's she's just thinking to herself. Well, the doctor told me I 
had to isolate. What kind of doctor is this, man? I don't know, but he's certainly got an interesting bedside manner when he pronounces her well and says, go sow your wild oats. So. As long as you don't make out, you should be fine. Yeah, you know, don't make out. You can ride in the car with each other, but uh, don't make out. And you'll, uh, nobody will get the cold you've got. Okay, that's how diseases work. <laughs> well, my first uh, book is uh, Star Trek number one from 1984. So uh, is this the one you did with James Fry? Yeah, this is James Fry. All right. So uh, it's kind of weird how I read two James Fry books, actually a three, four of them. Uh, James Fry did uh, the new Shadowhawk. With, okay. Get guess who inked him? Was it McFarlane? No. Somebody that we talked to. Andrew Peepoy? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Andrew Peepoy inks uh, James Fry in the Shadowhawk. I bet that looks good. Yeah, it, it does. It does look really, really good. And you can kind of tell, like, on some of the like the female faces and stuff that Peepoy's inking. Well, he's got a gift for the ladies. Yeah, he does. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, that was that was a fun book, and then I was like, well, "What am I going to cover for this?" And I, I had I had Star Trek number one was the only issue I was missing um, from the this run of uh, DC's uh, Star Trek, and I picked it up. It's got a George Perez cover. It has uh, it's by Mike W. Barr. Oh no, this isn't the James Fry issue. The James Fry issue is the the new format. Uh, the next one. This is uh, Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran. So uh, I, I misspoke. The James Fry one is the next Star Trek one. Okay. This one looks like more so than James Fry. It looks like uh, the drawings are very close to uh, the Wrath of Khan um, actors. Like he was using uh, really close images. It has a uh, an ad for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and television game in the inside cover. But uh, this is the the Gallant, the USS Gallant, is at the edge of the the zone, and uh, all of a sudden, the Birds of Prey of the Klingons appears. And they just blow this ship to death. And uh, at this time, it's Admiral James T. Kirk, and he sort of demotes himself. He wants he he wants to go back on the Enterprise, and uh, becomes a captain again, and goes back out to investigate the uh, Enterprise being destroyed. And uh, he's got two crew members um, that were their fathers were both on the Gallant. And uh, they uh, don't like each other because they blame each other's uh, for their father's death. Like they didn't know what they were doing when it really was the Klingons. And uh, Kirk does a good job about yelling at him. And at this time, the the thing that's really interesting about the Star Trek comics, at least from I don't know much about the Gold Key Dell Star Trek or that time frame, but 
when Marvel took over, uh, it started off with the motion picture. So it was in the 70s, and it 1, 2, and 3 were about Star Trek, the motion picture, and then it took off from that period. Well, this one takes off like right after the Wrath of Khan, and uh, Spock is dead. So um, he doesn't have Spock. He's got Savick who, uh, if you remember from the movie, was played by Kirstie Alley. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, he's treating her like crap because he expects her to be like Spock, and she's she's not Spock. So he's he's being, like, standoffish with her, and even Bones says, you know, what's the matter with you, Jim? you got to treat her like she's, like she's an officer and don't disrespect her. She's not going to be... Spock and they arrive and the Enterprise is attacked by Klingons so they like uh, warp in they don't know where they came from well it turns out that they're hiding in a wormhole and when the Enterprise came in they just started to blast it so Kirk decides well we got away this time and it, and you got a an ad for the Sergeant Rock toys so Oh yeah. If you'll uh you got the amphibious armored troop carrier, do you have that? I don't think I do. I don't I don't remember any vehicles. This this one this this ad is for no action figures, but they're all vehicles. It has a amphibious, amphibious armored troop carrier. It's got a uh anti-tank anti-aircraft weapon. And then it has an attack command vehicle. So I guess they had a uh, Remco had a bunch of uh, toys. Well, at that time, I was mostly buying Star Wars figures and G.I. Joe figures. And I bought the Sergeant Rock and I was super excited about the toys coming out and then super disappointed because the only character from the comics was Rock himself. There was no bulldozer. There was no little sure shot so i kept checking the toy aisles hoping they'd make the rest of easy company which they never did yeah and then i would you know then i would buy a gi joe instead when they didn't have you know an ice cream soldier figure yeah that's kind of lame these look kind of interesting i i kind of would like to go on ebay and just see what they look like to see if there's any photos because they these Back in the day when Heroes World and stuff, you know, they were putting out ads, they would have Joe Kubert draw the action figure rather than show a photo of what it would look like. He would draw the toys. Yeah, I heard recently that uh, he and his students at the Kubert School would do the catalogs for Heroes yeah, World. They, for Heroes they look, World. They look like a comic, and then, you know, he and his students would do the, the illustrations throughout the whole the whole catalog. Mm -hmm. So they find out that there, there's a wormhole there. Uh, they find out through radiation and using their detections that there's antimatter and there's this wormhole happening. So they, Kirk says, well, I'll take a small team into the wormhole and he decides to take a uh, Savic with them along with a couple of other, uh, people. And they, they beam themselves into, the wormhole and they find out there's a Klingon space station in there uh, with all kinds of birds of prey 
so they're they're in hot water and that's how issue one ends and uh this was 1984 and in the back inside cover it has uh your favorite uh the ad for atari force number one hot no so how you what a coincidence it also has an ad for uh, the Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle from Parker Brothers for your Atari 2600. I did not have that game. I don't remember that one. I remember it must have been an Empire Strikes Back game because I remember you would... You could yeah, that was the like ad. Yeah, I had that one. This was a Return of the Jedi one where you're over the moon of Endor... And I guess you have to, you're an X-Wing pilot and you have to attack the Death Star. Yeah, I don't remember that one at all. Yeah, but, but I, I want to, have... uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the Jim, the Jim Fry book real quick. Okay. So that, the, this one is, uh, from 1989. So let's jump a couple of years. And this is, uh, Star Trek number one. The new format, kind of like we were talking about Animal Man. Before before there was uh, Vertigo, they released a lot of like new format books. And Animal Man was one of the new format books. And Young All-Stars and a bunch of others were new format books. Well, Star Trek was too. Didn't they have like a special paper? Like, I think they called it Mondo paper or something like that. Yeah, I think it's a different... It's a thicker newsprint. It wasn't. It wasn't newsprint, and it wasn't Baxter paper. It was somewhere in between. Yeah, this one is newsprint, so I don't know if new, those might have been deluxe format, because Maybe. new format is is sort of new newsprint. And uh, this one order opens up with the Klingon ambassador, and he's just uh, talking, and he wants to kill Kirk, and Kirk is just reminiscing with Bones, and Bones is drinking. Uh, regillian comfort he's drinking alcohol and they're they're uh, just chatting and kirk starts talking about meeting his uh female friend and he goes what you have a female friend he's well you have a lot of female friends and he goes well i wanted my true love and he's talking about the ship because this uh this one takes place after uh Star Trek Five, the one with the whales. <clears throat> so uh, Spock is back, and uh, they get on the Enterprise to go. There is a uh, emergency signal that's being transmitted from a ship, and uh, they go to see who's transmitting that signal, and they find out that that alien. Um, I'm trying to see what race of aliens that are, they are. Nazgulian, Nazgul. <laughs> I don't remember them. I well, he looks really yellow. I he, I don't remember. The, I don't know if this was created for the comic or if they were actually part of the. But uh, there was a a guy in a, a sh- escape shuttle trying to escape and saying emergency, emergency, come help, and they they went to go help. And he's being chased by his own people. And his own people are like, don't interfere. Well, Kirk decides to interfere. And he beams that guy into the Enterprise, which causes all kinds of hell because 
they're like why are you protecting this guy he's he's escaped from us and turn him over well it turns out that they're able to kill him I don't know how they kill him but it must be something to do with like some religious way to kill him like power or something like that but they actually kill him and uh, now now they have a fight with these uh, Nazgulians and meanwhile back in on earth um, the Klingon ambassador is uh, he wants the head of James T. Kirk so that's what that one's about and this one it does have uh, James Fry and he did draw a lot of uh, a matter of fact they mentioned that he drew a lot of Star Trek in the Shadowhawk book, in the letters column, it was talking about James Fry. His inker was Arnie Starr, and the story was by Peter David. So, uh, yeah, I read two Star Treks. I, I like how they were, like, put in continuity, though, of the movies. It's it's really fascinating. I know where you're going. So, uh, that's all I had on those Star Trek. Well, I did a second one, and it was continuing with our romance theme. I did Date with Debbie, number nine, cover dated May, June, 1970. And our first story is The Hitchhiker, which opens with Debbie flying headfirst out of a Jeep as it comes to a screeching halt for a pretty blonde hitchhiker. The hitchhiker's name is Millie, and Millie gets in and drives away with the driver, Buddy. When Millie mentions seeing two people in the Jeep when it first pulled up, Buddy turns back to go get Debbie, and the three head off for Hillsdale. The Jeep gets a flat on the way, and Buddy goes to find something to block the wheels to change the tire. Debbie does not want to wait. She wants to get rid of Millie, so she goes on and jacks up the Jeep. The Jeep then comes off the jack and rolls off a cliff. Then the trio walk off to find help. And a farmer says they can use an old car that he has out in the barn. Buddy cuts across the field to go get the car, and he gets knocked into a tree by a charging bull. Debbie and Buddy get the car, and they drop off Millie and are driving around with Debbie at the wheel now. We end with Buddy going flying when Debbie slams on the brakes to pick up an attractive male hitchhiker. So it comes full circle with both people should have been killed by flying out of the vehicle. We have a two-page fashion spread, designs for Debbie, which I always wonder when they say, you know, this outfit was designed by Susie in New York City, if Susie really designed that outfit. But I know nothing of fashion and nothing of how they make these things. Then we have Debbie's secret weapon. Debbie tries to surprise her father with breakfast in bed. Unfortunately, she trips, bringing the tray in and spills everything all over her father. He goes to the bathroom to clean up while she goes for a second tray of food. Her father leans out the window for some fresh air, and Debbie manages to knock him out the window when she opens the door with the second tray. Her dad decides to head to work, and Debbie starts making biscuits for supper. A man comes to the door soliciting donations. He tells Debbie she must be a beauty contestant, and so she decides to give him some money. She donates $10 of her father's money, and sends the man on his way. Buddy comes over and shows up and smells something burning. Debbie has managed to burn the biscuits she had started for supper. Then they hear on the radio a warning 
about a con artist going around collecting donations for a charity. Debbie's furious and tells Buddy to keep an eye out for this guy. The guy actually returns to pick up his hat, which he had left when he got the money earlier, and then tries to run away. Debbie then throws a biscuit and hits the man in the head, (laughs) knocking him out until the police come. The police want to know what the what she used to hit him in the head and she says it was a homemade weapon and then we get three pages of horoscope stuff which i've never been into i thought that was an odd choice to put into a, a dc comic but i guess it was the early 70s then we have debbie and not worth the scent a one-page gag page where debbie tries a new perfume guaranteed to get you a man and she goes over to see buddy while he's working on his car he pretty much ignores Debbie while she just hangs out with him. And then she goes back to the department store saying she needs to return this and wants something that smells like motor oil. Then we have a letters page where they write, Dear Debbie, for help. Nothing as kooky as it, the romance comic shows up. So <laughs> I kind of skipped over that one. We have an, interest, <laughs> we have an interesting one-page ad. I, I say it's a house ad. I don't even know how else to describe it. It's by Joe Kubert entitled so you want to be a cartoonist and gives tips on how you draw and and how they work on making the comics and the size of paper they use and the pencils he recommends and i thought that was really interesting especially for the interesting, early 70s interesting but odd like why put that in in a date with debbie though book my only guess is that it was like a line-wide thing that dc did because joe kubert had such clout with the company and he was editor of a bunch of the books, but it still, it just seemed odd. It, yeah. I don't, I don't, well, I mean, like i complaining. It looks I like this it. book was more on the line of an Archie type It re- It is. Story. It's essentially an Archie story where Debbie is just a clumsy redhead, but Buddy likes her anyway. And then there's always some other girl and some other guy vying to make a, an interesting love triangle. And we close with where the action is. Buddy helps Mona with her homework. And he takes her for a ride in his new dune buggy, which he bought with the insurance money from his wrecked Jeep. So there's some continuity in the stories, which I, I actually liked that. Because usually these things are one and done and nothing nothing connects to each other. So he, he, decides, he asks her if she wants to go for a ride. And they go for a ride. And he gets bored and he takes Mona home. So he decides to stop by the pharmacy and get himself a soda and is sitting at the soda counter when in comes Anna, who he decides is pretty and he knows her from school and they talk a lot and he walks her home. But then he decides that Anna is boring. So he goes over to see the one person he knows is not boring and that's Debbie. And right as he gets to the door, Debbie is chasing a mosquito out of the house and hits Buddy in the head with an encyclopedia trying to kill the mosquito and buddy tells debbie that he's happy because she's never boring that she is where she is happening baby is what he says <laughs> so, <laughs> so very dated language but it's it's a fun little comic it's kind of it's, like you said it's just a, a dc's answer to archie and th- there aren't many of them there i think there were i think i looked it up you know, there were 18 issues but they're yeah. they're pretty tough to find in good it's, condition, it's for some, sure. It's got some nice art, and if you like Archie, you'd probably like Debbie. Yeah, it looks uh, 
looks like the, they have some of them on stock, but they're in good condition, which isn't even VG. Yeah, I usually try to get VG if I'm, you know, unless I just find one at a show and it's the right price. Yeah. But, but if I'm if I'm ordering something, I usually try to get at least VG for the older stuff. Well, uh, my last pick is a GI Combat 221. Hot dog. And uh, speaking of Sam Glasman, he has three haunted tank stories in here with uh, Robert uh, Kaniger uh, doing the story. Uh, the See, that, first... That's just incredible to me that he did. He had this long, long run of GI Combat, and in a lot of them, they were dollar issues where he did more than one story. Yeah. This, this one uh, was interesting, and maybe I haven't read a lot of Hana Tank recently, but... Uh... I don't remember a lot of be- German being spoken. Like, uh, usually they just put those little less than and greater than signs, and you know they're speaking German, and they show you in English what it is. But uh, in this book, it actually has it in German, and then inside of an editor's box, it tells you what it is. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting. I don't know if they did that a lot. But uh, this one's a haunted tank. They're, they want to go on a uh, vacation, sort of, a, what do they call it, where the shore leave? They're going to get some shore leave. And uh, they, they, there's a, a tank in the mountains that's shooting at them, and they, they manage to get out of it, which is they shoot up at the tank. Uh, it, it hits the, the panzer. And comes comes rolling down the mountain almost on top of them, uh, which is interesting because it almost killed them when they took out the Panzer. They get to the base where they say, "Oh, we're ready for you know shore leave," and uh, they say, "Well, we got one more mission. Uh, there, there's a military group out there that needs you to deliver supplies." And they're sure, "Well, we can guard the supply trucks. Uh, we'll just follow them there and." Make sure the supply trucks get there. Well, it turns out that there are no supply trucks. There are donkeys, a bunch of donkeys and jackasses <laughs> full full of supplies. And they they uh the tank has to like guide the the donkeys up these mountains so they can deliver the supplies. And there's Germans everywhere, so they lose the donkeys because they're going all over the place. They have no way of hurting it other than the tank. So uh, Jeb says, let's all, all four of us break up into fours and try to herd the donkeys into one area. But when they go into these mountains, they, there's Nazis there. And uh, it, it's very interesting because the donkeys actually save the lives of these guys like five or six times by, but the, the Nazis are ready to kill them like with potato mashers or whatever. And then a donkey will go here. And then <laughs> it'll scare the Nazis and, and the, the guy will, and the, the, the guy from the tank will end up shooting them. So, uh, they get the supplies delivered and the donkeys save their, their lives, uh, several times. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew the donkeys could be heroes? Yeah, and then there's an OSS story uh, written by 
Bart Regan and art by I can't read his name, but it looks like Cruz. That's probably ER Cruz. ER Cruz, yeah. ER Combat. It's ER Cruz. Really, really fine line too. Like uh, he's he's got like a really hyper detailed uh, style. Well, I know you like heroic comics. He did some work for them. I think he did the early issues of Captain Thunder and Blue Bolt. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I've seen too many of his stuff, and I haven't read GI Combat in a long time, but it is hyper detailed. But there's this guy in prison. He gets a letter from his son um, saying that he he was trying to go up a mountain and ended up getting killed. There was a pillbox there that killed his son, and he feels bad because he's been a robber his entire life. And he, his son was out there trying to be a hero, and he says he tells the warden, "I want to go to war. I want to do this for my son." And they actually do get him out of prison and on a mission because they know there's this safe in this lighthouse, and it's a German lighthouse that has a uh, a code book in it that breaks their codes, and they need his skills to break into that safe. Well, uh, on this mission, he, they lose a lot of men, but he does get up there to the lighthouse, gets into the safe, takes the the book, and then at the very end, he hands there's a PT boat, and he hands the book to the guy, and then he dies and drowns. So that was a interesting story. Uh, this one, if you like cats, is a it's called The Nine Lives of Private Glover. I and do like cats. There you go. I hear I hear your cat sometimes. Yeah, she's, she's, well, she's just joined me right now. She's climbed up in my lap while we're talking. Yeah, this one is by George Caston and Lewitt Fang. And the art is by Amongo. Just one name, Amongo. I don't know that one. Yeah, this... Uh, this is a story about a private that meets a cat, and then he takes this cat everywhere, and the cat saves his life, much like the donkey, <laughs> just by meowing at the right times and letting him know like there's Nazi shoulders behind him. And on the last mission, the sergeant makes him get rid of the cat because he's a, I guess he's a dog person, and they have these, uh, um. What is the breed of dog they used to use? German Shepherds. He has a bunch of uh, German Shepherds, and I guess the cat's annoying him. So uh, he says, you got to get rid of the cat. And so he chases the cat away, but then he feels bad because he like loves that cat. And they go on a mission where they almost die, but the cat saves their lives again. It's like meows at the right time, and they turn around and kill the Nazis that were sneaking up on them. And then they go look at the cat, and the cat was murdered in the gunfire. So the cat got killed, but they still hear uh, meowing. And they're like, what's going on? Well, it turns out that cat was a female, and she had a bunch of babies. And now they have, like, I don't know, like six cats to take care of. So it was a strange story. Uh, Then there's a uh, haunted tank. This one one I didn't kind of understand very well. This was the same team, uh, Robert Kaniger and Sam Glasman. 
they're like on a PT they're on a boat where their tank is being transported on this boat and uh, they're getting fired upon by a tank that's on this island and for so, for some reason uh, Stuart is on his ghost horse fighting Genghis Khan did that happen a lot did he fight Genghis Khan a lot not a lot, but it happened more than once. Why did he fight Genghis Khan? There, um, was, some, there was some connection where the Genghis Khan was connected to one of the Nazis, like the like J.E.B. Stewart was connected to Jeb. So the then the, the as the the American and German fought, then the, their ghost guardians also fought. Well, whatever it was, because he was off fighting, uh, a, you know, Genghis Khan he couldn't protect the tank. So uh, they were sitting there helpless. Jeb decides to swim to the island and take out the tank on his own and then get back to the, the ship and then they can get there safely. So it was a sort of a strange Jeb story where he has to, outside of the tank, go on this mission and try to take out a, a tank on a, a Nazi tank on the island. And then it has an ad for Superman and Amazing Spider-Man. So this was their, I think, the first Marvel uh, team up with DC. Which Man, I, I didn't get at the cartoon. time. Yeah, this was, that was a Treasury edition, wasn't oh, it? the Treasury. I'm thinking of the, the Amazing Friends cartoon. Oh, no, this was the Superman and Amazing Spider-Man, I think, Treasury edition. Okay, okay. 1980. That would have been the at least the second one because the first one came out in the 70s because there was a going to be a signed edition signed by Stan Lee of Marvel and Carmine Infantino of DC and then D, Carmine ended up leaving DC or got fired and so the edition as far as I know only has Stan's signature even though there will be ads saying you know order it signed by both. Yeah, I can't find it in my database under Superman and Spider-Man, so I don't know what it was. What it was, I, it looks like it has Wonder Woman in the comic and Incredible Hulk, and it looks like the villains are Parasite and Doctor Doom. So, um, not sure about that. This one's an interesting uh, tale. It's called The Square Battlefield uh, by David. Alicus and art is by Scott Pellegrini and uh, this is a uh, these these guys are in a, a German prison camp so they're POWs and there is this Nazi lieutenant that is a uh, boxer and he like will make the Americans go fight him and he'll beat the crap out of them. And if they win, he'll kill them. So they almost have to like throw the fights, but they uh, recently captured a guy that really does box for a living. And, uh, they get into a, a boxing match and he's supposed to throw the fight and he doesn't throw the fight. He actually knocks him dead so he thinks he killed him with a knockout punch. But it turns out 
One of the Nazi officers thought this guy was an asshole and mistreating the U.S. soldiers and actually poisoned his mouthpiece, and that's what killed him, not the punch. So that was an interesting uh, <laughs> they story. They tricked him. Yeah. There's, this one has the Fred Hempback uh, Green Lantern on it, too. Ask the Answer Man had a lot of uh, questions. Man, uh, I, love, I loved both of those, the Hempback strips and the Ask the Answer Man. Yeah, th- this one asked, like, whatever happened to Our Man? And they said, well, check out DC Comics Presents 25. And then somebody had a question, is Dual Damsel the same person as Triplicate Girl? And, uh, yes, one of them died, so that's how they became Dual Damsel. Uh, what was another? What is the Answer Man's real name? Did you know this? Bob Rosakis? Yeah, you got it. I did not know that. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but, yeah, he was, like, the go- he would answer things I hadn't even heard of before, and he would know the answer to it. So he yeah. always impressed me. There's another interesting question because I, in back issue, I read a uh, story about the uh, the comic mobile. I don't know if you ever heard about that, but it was a uh, this huge van. It wasn't really even a van. It was more like a uh, like a UPS truck that used to drive around and sell comics, called the comic mobile. And somebody asked, well, whatever happened to it? And somebody said it, Answer Man said it proved impractical and it was retired in early 1974. Here's another awesome uh, question. It says, is the Martin Pasco who wrote the January 10th episode of Buck Rogers the same who writes for DC? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Being a Buck Rogers fan, that was a cool little factoid. Yeah, I like that. And I love seeing names like that because uh, I think Jerry Conway did some TV writing. I want to say he did for some of the Law & Order episodes. I don't know which series because there's been several of them. But, you know, if I saw uh, a creator's name on TV, it just blew my mind. Yeah. Like Howard Chaykin did some writing for TV. Of course, he, he cleans it up a lot for TV based on his own comics anyway. And this uh, last uh, Haunted Tank story was my favorite. Um, It was about an actor that the GI Combat and Haunted Tank guys were supposed to take around and just show him around, like, drive him around and show him things. He was named Mr. Cameron, and he was uh, an action hero. And... uh, the interesting thing is he gets in the tank on on the first thing and he sees the ghost and they're like the guys pretend there's no ghost what are you seeing and they they're like this is weird nobody could see the ghost but Jeb what 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 is happening why is he seeing it and uh there's a couple of things where he's just trying to help and then they're telling him hands off you're going to screw it all up Get, they they're always pushing him away and uh, he, he feels useless. And there's one scene where he's like, he says he's going for a walk and he finds another tank. Um, actually, uh, one of those tank guns, one of those anti-tank guns. 
and uh, there's a bunch of Nazis on there, and he points it out to them, and they, they like, blow it up. But then a tank shows up, and they're going to – they're all out of the tank, so they, they can't get onto the tank to fight this, this uh, panzer. And uh, the action hero grabs a horse. He gets on a horse, and he yells at Jeb. He says, give me the grenade. And he gets the grenade and throws it in the panzer's, you know, the hole of the the top of the panzer and blows it up. And then sort of falls off the horse to his death. And um, he dies. So he actually did a heroic, the actor did a heroic thing. And he's, and Jeb goes to talk to the ghost. And uh, he says, why could he see you? And he goes, because he was dying. He, He was, he had a bad heart condition and was on his deathbed and he could see me. So he was actually dying and did a heroic thing before he died and saved the members of the haunted tank. Did the guy know he had a heart condition? Yeah. Because the the woman that brought him over uh, said he was dying of a bad heart. And he says, thanks for giving him a a chance to die in action the way he hoped off screen. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool story. So that was pretty neat. I, I, I liked all the stories quite a bit. It was a good issue to read. I liked the of the GI Combat tank stories. I liked the uh, the actor story and the one with the donkeys. I thought that was pretty cool. That sounds like that issue is like animals in action, and yeah. the cat, the mama the cat, cat dying story. in battle would have would have probably upset me when I was a kid. Yeah, I can I can remember buying that comic, and I think it was at the mall, at Walden Books. But uh, I don't remember the stories. But I, I I'd almost guarantee you that Mama Cat getting killed up upset a young me. Yeah, I'd imagine. Well, there was a lot of um, dog related and cat stories. I, I think we covered. Uh... One on this show with uh, Ace, a couple of them I think, with the the losers had the Gunner and Sarge had the dog, right? Yeah, they had Pooch. Pooch, and then I thought I thought you covered a Rex the Rex the Wonder Dog, who Wonder we, Dog Rex... who was related to Pooch, right? Yeah, Joe looked it up in like the Who's Who and. And Rex and Pooch are like litter mates or something. Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting factoid. So we've covered a lot of animals in this. Uh... Oh, and uh, I think Rob covered Enemy Ace with a cat or a dog. I can't remember if it was a yeah, dog. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was Enemy Ace, and he had adopted a puppy. Yeah. And Star Spangled War Stories number one forty-eight, and he names the puppy Shotzi. And that issue will break your dadgum heart. Yeah. So there's a lot of sad uh, pet uh, issues. But that's all I had. Do you had any? Do you have anything else? No, I only did the two. All we, right. We need to well, do a, a shout out to our, our brothers who couldn't make it. Poor, poor Rob and Joe. We miss yeah, you Rob, guys. Rob couldn't make it because he can't do more than one a weekend, and uh, we we recorded Geek Brunch Retro, why can't and I don't know do why one? Joe couldn't make it. Well, Joe Joe's in the middle of a lot going Moving. on. Yeah. 
get, yeah, getting ready to sell his house and move. And I'm trying to get him to move in with me, but he seems to rather stay with his family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would your your wife like that? <laughs> She'd probably like Joe better than me. She'd probably keep Joe and kick me out. Kick you out. So you can reach Kirk on Twitter at Big Five Army. Um, you can reach Joe at Iowa's Joe. And Rob at Rob Krieger, and I'm at Mike Myers Brunch. You can find us at dcnoisepodcast.com and also on the Facebooks at DC Noise Podcast. Click the like button and follow all the episode threads there. And I hope, uh, I don't I don't know if we'll be able to record with Joe because of the circumstances, but uh, I hope when he gets all settled in and uh, moved, we will be able to... Uh, Record one with all of us again. Yeah, it's always better to have everybody together. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for recording this with me. And uh, uh, well, Peepway, thank you for having me. Peep, Peepway wants to do another one, so if you're up for that, oh, I'd um, love that. He would like to do something maybe next weekend, so uh, I'll I'll talk to you on the side about that and see if we can work something out. Well, we can. Uh, isn't he's his still, book on Indiegogo right now? Yeah, Everybody that's look for that, Andrew Peepoy's Adventures Indiegogo. of the Moon and Ajax on Indiegogo. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have uh, another uh, discussion with him uh, very soon. So uh, you have a good one, Kirk, and thanks for doing the show with me. Well, thank you for I'm, having I'm me. I'm glad I'd we love could. Talking uh, comics with you guys. Glad we can uh, get one done. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, you have a good week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Stay safe, my friend. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.